Welcome to the Fred Tech Byte Podcast. I'm your host, Andres Mendoza, and with me is my co-host, Mark Walker. And thanks to Fitzy.org and Root for hosting us. Root is a one-stop public-private partnership to jumpstart new businesses and energize innovation in Frederick County. Dig deep, cultivate tomorrow. Thanks, Mark. So today's guest is going to be Mike Toki. Toki. Toki, as I say it. Uh, and Justin Allen from What Works Studios. Uh, Mike is actually from ESEC. He's a an executive director of the Eastern Shore Entrepreneurship Center, also known as ESEC. And we talk about his organization very similar to Fitzy, their accelerator growth for entrepreneurships. They really primarily focus on the rural part of Maryland. A lot of complementary overlap there. Yeah, definitely. And and I he's mentioned the fact that they've worked with Fitzy on a couple of different things. But the main thing that we talk about today is one of their initiatives is something called F3 Tech, which stands for Fish, Farm, and Food. Um, and essentially, we're talking about ways to improve the agriculture and the um, you know fishing industry with tech, right? And it's just how, how do you how do you merge tech into that kind of industry that hasn't seen change in, in quite a while? And granted, I'm not an expert in agriculture or farming, and there have been changes already, right? Where, you know, like smart tractors and, and things like that. But can we start to leverage more tech to yield more food or better produce, you know, better quality food? And things like that. And right? he's bringing technology to bear to solve those problems. Right, right. So in essence, you know, their organization is they're trying to connect entrepreneurs and companies are looking to solve and take on these challenges with actual farmers and customers that have these challenges to say and and investors as well that are interested in in putting in you know money and resources into that. And he's also so, branching out and doing rural urban integration or cooperation. Right, um, right. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there were some statistics I found before the b- before this uh, interview, and it's you know insane to think about. You know, like early 1900s, the population went from 1.6 billion people on this planet to today 8 billion. And you know, how do you feed that many people? And how do you feed that many people when you know, according to him, we'll need 70 percent more yield by 2050? And so when you think about numbers like that. It's hard to like wrap your head around like how do we do it with what we what we do like what we do today is not sustainable. Absolutely, and some of their innovations are increasing yield mm-hmm. per amount of land right. per amount of how much uh, aquaculture you are right. working with at a mo- at any given time. Definitely, yeah. So yeah, uh, I, it was an exciting podcast. Or... I was impressed with their logo, the F three. The three is like an exponent, so yeah. it's not additive; it's exponential. It is, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And they have a huge symposium coming up, you know, May thirtieth at mm-hmm. FCC. Um, We'll have some information on the on the posting. So yeah, check it out, guys. All right. So welcome, Mike Toki and Justin. You know, to the podcast. You know, glad to have you guys on to talk Thank about a uh, couple of th- things here. Right. Your organization is called ESEC, and that stands for Eastern Shore Entrepreneurship Center. Okay, and. What do you guys do primarily, if you could just quickly describe that? Well, thanks for inviting um, us in, and I am the executive director of the Entrepreneurship Center. We're located in Easton, Maryland. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are a private sector nonprofit organization. We serve the nine counties of the Eastern Shore. 
And our primary target audience are high growth, innovative, and scalable entrepreneurs and startups. The organization was founded in 2004 by one of the regional councils okay. uh, in, uh, on the Eastern Shore, uh, and it was in response to the closing of the Black and Decker plant and the loss of 1,700 jobs. So they wanted to try to stimulate more entrepreneurship, and a few years in, uh, there sort of came the realization that if job creation was the primary objective, we weren't doing it with uh, working with lifestyle retail type entrepreneurs, primarily self-employment. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why our focus is on the high growth, innovative and scalable uh, type of startup. Uh, and so we have two uh, main areas or initiatives uh, that we uh, execute in order to achieve the, that objective. Uh, the first is we have a network of co-working spaces called Hot Desks. Okay. There are six locations currently, uh, so we have nice geographic coverage throughout the nine counties, and they are all shared work environments. They have conference rooms, network printers. The big attraction is big bandwidth of internet. Okay. Um, if you're doing any kind of business that's pushing data on the Eastern Shore, you're not doing it at home. Right. So um, that's a real attraction to these, uh, these co-working spaces. Um, there's no staffing, so they're all self-managed. They're open 24-7. Access is a- achieved through a magnetic um, RFID card. Okay. Uh, and so it's a monthly subscription, uh, really affordable, as low as $25 a month, up to $100 a month, depending on how frequently you use them. And the old adage, as long as your credit card keeps charging every month, you keep getting access to the spaces uh, every month. It's amazing how many people uh, use multiple locations. Uh, We sort of hold at around 150 members because they come and go. Uh, There's no long-term commitment. And and this is a bit different than typical co-working spaces that are found in like big cities, right? It is. We're we're trying to translate a typically urban activity into a rural environment. Right. Uh, And so we lack the critical mass of of activity. Uh, For example, one thing that we've just not had much success with is doing meetups. Um, because people just don't religiously want to travel and go to a regularly scheduled event, uh, similar to what you do uh, here in in, uh, the more urban areas uh, on the Western Shore. So we haven't quite figured out how to do it, but the purpose of these these co-working spaces is also an opportunity for us to sort of attract some of the innovators and entrepreneurs that exist on the Eastern Shore because they're really well hidden Mm -hmm. uh, and we need to try to coach them out from behind the bushes. And it also gives them an opportunity to collide with each other that they otherwise don't have. Definitely. Yeah, so you mentioned that that was your primary initiative. There's a secondary one as well. Right. And so um, our secondary initiative uh, is a result of conversations we started in late 2015. We wanted to position the Eastern Shore to be a bit more attractive for economic development investment. Primarily, our our, uh, target was uh, federal agencies, USDA, Economic Development Administration at Commerce, and uh, SBA. Um, And we're successful at getting some of the smaller grant amounts, but when we were trying to go for the mid-six-figure type of grants, uh, we were losing points in two key areas. As a region, we didn't have an economic development strategy, and we didn't have an industry sector focus. Mm -hmm. Well, the challenge is trying to get any two counties on the Eastern Shore to agree on anything relative (laughs) to whatever, least of all uh, an economic development strategy and an industry sector focus. 
Because norm naturally they all have their own agendas, their right. own priorities, uh, and so that's common. But we were able to build consensus about one common theme, and that is we were all rich in our traditional industries of agriculture and seafood. So building upon that, we determined that we wanted to elevate those industries to the next level through innovation and technology. Uh, another motivator for us is that we realized that uh, there's a, a growing or an increasing awareness that we're going to need 70% more food by the year 2050 to satisfy uh, a growing worldwide population. And we wanted to be part of that. Right. Um, we wanted to get in the game. Right. Um, and if you look at where over the last uh, few decades the increase in yield production has been, it's not because we're you know, farming more acres. It's not because we're planting more seeds per acre. It's only through innovation and technology that our yield productions uh, are increasing. Um, so that gave us a, a real opportunity uh, that we wanted to take advantage of. The conversation then sort of spread to Southern Maryland and Western Maryland, who were sort of exhibiting and dealing with all the same issues, and they wanted to be part of this initiative as it was developing. And so last year, we did our first pipeline of, of uh, activities called F3 Tech, Farm, Fish, Food. Right. Okay. Uh, and it's an accelerator program, and it's a pipeline of three basic activities and we so so be before we get into that pipeline, right? Sure. So so you guys have now all agreed that this is the initiative you, you all want to go after. Correct. Right? And you threw out some uh, pretty interesting um, insights there because, like you said, the agriculture industry hasn't really changed in a while. And I think the last major change was in the early 20th century when we were able to synthetically create uh, fertilizer, right? And that created an explosion in terms of how much food we can process, we can now plant. Well, and the fact that we mechanized um, agriculture. Right, right. And so I, I've seen numbers where our population growth has, has gone from about 1.6 billion in the early 1900s to today, it's close to 8 billion people. And how do you feed that many people, right? And in terms of how much farmland is taken up, it's not a lot. If you were to go back to those yields in the early 1900s, it said that we would need four times more land mm -hmm. to do that. So I find it pretty interesting because that was a huge revolution to allow a whole myriad of different things. You know, cities grow, countries grow, things like that. And now we're, we're kind of in this crossroads again where it's like, well, how do we take new technology and innovate that again to create? Because like you said, in 2050, you're going to need how much? Like 70%. 70% more, right? Mm -hmm. And we just don't have the land to do Correct. that, you know? So how do we do that, right? Right. And so now you guys have this initiative and you're calling it F3, right? Which stands mm -hmm. for? Farm Fish Food. Farm mm -hmm. Fish Food. And so it's innovating farming techniques, right? Mm -hmm. Using technology. Fishing techniques as well, and then what, just yielding more It's food? the whole um, field-to-table or bay-to-table. Mm -hmm. It's the whole supply chain. Okay. Um, so it's not just innovating, innovations relative to the actual physical growing of food. It's about the package of food, the distribution of mm -hmm. food, the storage okay. of food, the preparation of food. So there's all elements of, uh, or all levels, I should say, of, of innovative thinking that can occur that can increase not only the yield productions, but the nutritional value, increasing right. the nutritional value, and just making sure more people have better access to food as well. 
And beyond that, you guys are you guys also taking into account with like environmental conditions and stuff like that? Absolutely. Our our industry sector focuses on agriculture tech and aquaculture tech, but we recognize there's an environmental tech element to what we're doing. We're not trying to include all things environmental tech, right. but just those elements of, of environmental that are impacted by the agriculture and aquaculture activity right. and its impact on the environment. So again, that that is part of it. Okay, so so let's get you in, Justin. Um, you're sure. you're from uh, What Works Studios, right? That's right. And you're helping Mike in terms of marketing the F three initiative, right? Correct. And that's that's for what here in Frederick, because right now you guys have a symposium coming up, coming up in what May. May 30th? May 30th. Yeah, that's right. If I could just quickly interject. Yeah, part of what we're doing to get the word about out about F3 Tech is every six months we're doing a one-day symposium. Okay. Uh, and they rotate around the state. Okay. Um, and so we've had three of them up to this point, and we typically get 150 people uh, to attend. Where, where have you had them so far? We've had them in um, at Y Mills, Chesapeake College on the Eastern Shore, we had one in, I can't remember, but it was Southern Maryland okay. at the one of the campuses of College of Southern Maryland. And then the third one, Rockville. It was Rockville. at the okay. um, uh, Shady Grove, at the universities at Shady Grove. Okay. So you're covering rural and metropolitan Correct. and all of that. Well, I haven't gotten into the rural-urban thing, and I'll have to okay. fill you in on that later. Um, but so Frederick was, um, because we wanted to start getting more into the western Maryland uh, area, right. and so we thought Frederick was, was a good place. Uh, and another reason that we wanted to do it is because of the access to the Innovators and entrepreneurs are already involved in cybertech and biotech. We sort of want to corrupt them into getting into this industry <laughs> sector. But that's when I was encouraged to reach out to Justin to help get the word out and try to uh, promote this event here in Frederick. Yeah, yeah. appreciate Justin, you know, you reaching out. I, I, that's how I've met you and you guys and stuff like that. And it's another sector that is ripe for big change because of technology and we're looking forward to see what happens so this symposium coming up right it's going to be at fcc right frederick community college on may 30th all day and you guys are just showcasing different companies or what's going on there um yeah basically it's it's not so much showcasing companies as it is showcasing opportunities okay um so we have three uh basic sessions where we're doing presentations uh, and what I what we try to uh, to do is bring uh, speakers in from out of state. Mm -hmm. um, so we have one gentleman from CNH, um, which is International Harvester Case, um, out of New Holland, Pennsylvania. Uh, so we have uh, Luke coming, and he is going to be doing a presentation on uh, autonomous and robotics uh, activity uh, in in agriculture. Uh, and then the next person I have is Sri coming from Tier 1 Digital uh, out of Milpitas, uh, California, out of Silicon Valley. Uh, and they are very active in the data and analytics uh, aspect uh, of agriculture. And these are the two areas that we're really trying to emphasize in this symposium. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, again, trying to take advantage of the cyber and biotech talent that's here. Uh, in the area is to let them know the opportunities because data and analytics is just a big hole uh, in, uh, in agriculture right now. Almost every farmer has a smart tractor and they're accumulating all sorts of data 
and doing nothing with it. So can you tell me what what is a smart tractor? Because I, I don't know what that means. Again, precision ag and, and smart tractors for, for GPS, the layperson. Uh, but it's basically yeah. about um, utilizing GPS, GIS, um, and basically, you know, putting the, the tractor on autopilot. Okay. Um, and like I said, they're collecting data about the number of acres, how right. many seeds are they planting per acre, you know, what, what areas of their fields are growing better than others. You're driving a data center in the middle of your field. Correct. That's, that, yeah, data collection. Well, and, field. But another, another challenge is they don't, they're, not, they're, they're sort of downloading the data, but they're not analyzing it real time because they don't have access to the Internet right. out in the middle of the field. Right. Um, so there are plenty of, of entrepreneurs and innovators that are trying to address this problem. The most um, frequent um, solution I think a lot of them are using are low-frequency radio waves where they're setting up beacons uh, around the fields uh, in order to have real-time access uh, to the Internet. So when I think about a smart tractor, too, you, have you seen the movie Interstellar mm -hmm. where the tractors are just self-driving? Do you think we'll ever get there? Well, we're already there. Oh, are we? Yeah, okay. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff like that out there. Okay. So, yeah, that, that's, that's nuts. And... Um, yeah, so automation, robotics, drones. I mean, all these all these technologies are – it's just been an explosion in the past 10 years. And tell me from your experience and what you know how they have fundamentally changed in terms of, you know, like you said, the smart tractor. Now you can just set an autopilot and it goes. It's collecting data. What about drones? Are they playing a big role in – Again, drones are a big area too. But again, I don't know that it's reached the level of, of real sophistication. Okay. Um, you know, one of the things that's ironic is I think ag – in years past or generations past was probably very early in a lot of, of innovation. Um, but it seems like in, innovation is taking place in a lot of other industry sectors and ag's lagging behind a little bit. So right. ag is, is playing catch up right now, but there's so much existing innovation and technology that could easily be transitioned or transferred or utilized in ag that's not. Right. Um, and so again, Part of the reasons for these symposiums every six months is to get all the stakeholders together to have conversations, build consensus, and encourage this kind of dialogue uh, about these things. Yeah. And you mentioned the, the internet problem, like internet connectivity. Um, you know, we, we've heard many times that, you know, anywhere from Facebook to other entrepreneurs are looking to put in satellites for internet access in rural areas. Do you think that can fundamentally change the way data is received and collected and analyzed in real time? Possible. I don't know enough about the satellites, <laughs> but yes, anything that will, will give uh, greater access in the rural areas uh, is beneficial. Mm -hmm. What are the advantages of analyzing the data in real time? Real time, yeah. And I'm wondering that too. So like if I'm, if I'm plowing and I'm analyzing something in real time, can I change what I'm doing the next day? It, like, or right then if you have real time access to, to the analytics. Um, and so it's about being able to make better choices, better decisions okay. um, relative to your farming activity. Again, and that would increase your yield correct. right on the spot. That's what the whole objective yeah. is. I mean, one of the things that we've been trying to emphasize to entrepreneurs, they come up with some crazy ideas, but they're not doing it from um, a design from the customer's perspective in terms of the design. Okay. Anything you create that makes a farmer's life more difficult requires them to learn something new, right. you know, just... They want to just be out in the field growing stuff. Right. They don't want to have to learn how to use technology. So it needs to be really point and click. 
the last symposium, we had Aaron Alton from Purdue University in Indiana, and they're leading the way in trying to develop an open source environment for data in agriculture, which is a real challenge in and of itself because farmers are priv- you know, very private, they're very proprietary about their data, they don't want to share data, but if they were able to sort of compare their data against the farmer next door to them, they'd be able to make some more intelligent decisions uh, in relation to each other uh, and the way their fields are, are producing. But what they're doing, and, and one of the things Aaron was really uh, emphasizing, is that the existing data dashboards that a lot of, of manufacturers of precision ag equipment You've got to go through like a dozen steps through these dashboards to get to the information that you need. And you you basically need a handbook on how to do it. The dashboards need to be simpler. You need to design from the customer's perspective. UI developers make note. Right. (laughs) UI, UX, it plays a role even in something like this. So, so yeah. Um, so do you see in as we progress, you know, in the future with more hardware and the software side of things like data insights, analytics, that you'll have, you know, kind of like if you're looking at what Tesla is doing in the auto industry, I imagine that in the future, a mechanic will now have to know some programming, right? Because it's not just all mechanical. It's like, okay, it, there's a big computer in there. Granted, cars today do have computers, but it's not as computer-driven as the self-driving cars. Or at least learn the application. Exactly. Do you think farmers are, are are resistant to that or some are looking to go down that road? It's There's a similarity between what you're describing and what I will also talk about in aquaculture. And what it is, it's a generational thing. Older farmers, resistant. Right. Millennial farmers are all in. Mm-hmm. They're all over this stuff. It's the same way with, with aquaculture. We have a huge oyster aquaculture industry here uh, in Maryland. And again, the whole point of aquaculture is it's requiring the transition of a traditional industry from a hunter-gatherer activity that's not sustainable. It's, it's not, not year-round. You right. can't make a living on it to a farming type of activity where it's year-round, it's sustainable, you can raise a family on the income. Older farmers hate oyster aquaculture. They, all their life is about going out in the boat and, you know, going after, um, you know, oyster bags. And their parents before them and and their parents before them. And so it's not until you get into the younger watermen that they realize their future is oyster aquaculture right it's not just harvesting you know oysters from the bay again all of this uh, industry is going through a transition right now and it's generational yes do you guys also deal with um because you, you're talking about uh, aquaculture right um aquaponics as well where isn't that like a, a symbiotic relationship between yeah. growing fish and farming yeah i think that in many cases at least my experience has been it, it's it's more What's the word I'm looking for? But it's more theoretical. It's more a desire. But practicality-wise, it doesn't always work. Okay. Um, so easier said than done kind of a thing. But yes, there are examples where there's a, a full cycle mm-hmm. um, of raising fish um, and, and using the, the using waste of the, the, waste fish of the fish to grow the, uh, the plants. The plants yes. Okay. 
Um, and, I mean, I've seen examples of that in inner cities uh, because you can grow simple herbs mm-hmm. and things like mm-hmm. that. It's, you're not trying to. It's grow, hard to scale, right? You're not going to scale too high. Are you calling it fish manure? <laughs> it can be. I mean, sure. that's kind of what you're describing. The sure. Way, uh, you know, well, it's, it's waste. Fertile, right? Every, yeah, everything right. produces waste. Oysters produce waste. Mm-hmm. Well, every living thing. Does. Yeah. Worms produce waste, you know, and that gets us into one of the, the uh, areas of startups that we've seen a real proliferation uh, is insects. Um, there's a lot of, of entrepreneurs that are playing in the insects uh, realm in terms of an alternative protein source. I've, and I've heard of stories like that, and you, you you would even see that in some movies where you, you know future, not dystopian, but more mm-hmm. op- yeah. I don't know what's going on, but growing insects to eat protein based stuff. Right, like that. and you know it's not so much eating them whole, uh, right. but it's more about using it as a protein supplement. You know, grinding them up. Uh, it's an alternative to for especially for animal feed. It's an alternative to fish meal. Fish meal is becoming increasingly scarce. It's becoming more expensive as a result. Uh, and some people are looking at insects as the new livestock. And that's, it's funny you say that because if I had to think about me personally eating insects, I'm not a big fan of that, right? You're probably eating insects and you don't even know it yet. <laughs> right, right. I just don't want to know that, we'll right? get over the cultural barriers we all have, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, but it, it does make sense that that can be an alternative form to feed livestock and to feed fishes and whatnot. And, and that helps it in that whole cycle because then at the end, we can grow more in, in a sustainable way. Correct. And we can have fish to eat. Um, or whatnot. So let's get into uh, another form of farming. I think it's called like what smart farming, right? Uh, where it's I've seen this different examples of this in places that you couldn't even think about growing anything. Probably like way in the north, or like inner cities where you have kind of like a room like this where just lines of herbs and and different. Plants and you can grow them with special light. Is that something you guys also handle? Well, again, some it's not something we handle, but do we work with entrepreneurs right. that are playing in that um, realm? Yes. I mean, it's vertical farming, urban farming, mm-hmm. uh, whatever you want to call it, but it's more on a small scale. Um, I know there's rooftop farming. So there's all sorts of ways to introduce agricultural activity into an urban environment right. um, that would ordinarily not be there. I think what people are trying to do is increase the accessibility, you know, trying to deal with food deserts kind of a thing. I think it's about increasing people's awareness of where their food comes from by getting them more engaged in the act of of growing food. I mean, there's lots of motivators for that kind of stuff. I don't know that it's really producing yields that really make a big difference. Okay. Um, but it's it. There was one thing I was at the American uh, Farm Bureau uh, convention this past January in New Orleans, and what was interesting is that there was a woman from Atlanta, mm-hmm. and one thing that there's a real absence of is there's farm bureaus in every rural county. But there aren't farm bureaus in big cities. And again, you would think, why would there be? There's not a lot of farms. But this woman from Atlanta was there representing over 3,000 city urban farmers from Atlanta. Now, that could mean they just have a plot in their backyard, or it could mean they're in a community garden somewhere, or it could mean they have a vertical industrial type of of farming um, facility. But there were 3,000 of them. And there's no representation. Right. They're not part of the farming agriculture conversation, which sort of elevated the uh, the thought, we need 
farm bureaus in cities too in order to begin to advance and connect all those people with the, the greater agriculture community. Absolutely, yeah. So you don't think that can play a role because like you mentioned before, we'll need 70% more yields by 2050, right? Do you think vertical farming and urban farming can help? It contributes, absolutely, absolutely. Anything contributes to the ultimate objective. What else do you think can can help achieve that, those kind of yields within 2050? Um, Aquaculture, Um, again, I don't think people have ordinarily included aquaculture as part of the definition of of agriculture, but it does. And I think we need to raise more seafood through farming uh, mechanisms that will make a a big contribution because I think our oceans by and in of themselves can't produce the kinds of quantities that we're going to need. So we're going to have to raise them. And one of the things we'd like to do here in Maryland is get more people thinking about diversifying our aquaculture industry. Right. We can't just be about oysters. So, you know, do we do clams and mussels and those sorts of things in the bay? Do we do more fish, fin fish farms, either in the bay or on land? I think on land is probably the more opportunity for us to scale. For example, we have coming to Talbot County just recently, uh, an investor coming in from the UK that uh, is bringing and will develop the country's uh, largest totally automated salmon farm. Um, And it's going to produce 200 jobs. And six of which are really only involved in raising the salmon. The remainder of the 200 jobs are all involved in the products that are going to be made from the byproducts of the salmon. So again, a big definition of innovation is eliminating waste. So the fins, the guts, the, 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 uh, the bones, you know, the heads, the tails, all these things are going to be used in the production of pharmaceuticals, cosmetics, all sorts of things. And that is innovation. It's not just about coming up with some, you know, really big new thing. It's about the evolutionary type of of progress of of changing something that already exists into something bigger, better, and cheaper. And it's about eliminating waste, which we produce a lot in this world. Right. And, you know, you mentioned automation um, that will be producing more jobs. I think typically people hear the word automation, they're like, I'm going to lose my job or something like that. But it does create opportunity, even if opportunity is somewhere different. There is That's always... definitely true innovation right there. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Correct. True innovation. So let's talk more about uh, partners about, you know, with this F3 tech initiative. Um, you guys had mentioned before that you partner with places like Fitzy as well. Want to talk a little bit about that? Well, again, um, because we're, we have the Hot Desk Initiative, the Entrepreneurship Center is a part of the Maryland Business Incubation Association. So we're, we're part of this statewide uh, group of, of incubators, co-working spaces, accelerator programs. So we obviously partner and we cross-fertilize. We, we try to leverage our resources for the, the greater good of, of entrepreneurs and innovators in Maryland. We're partnering with all sorts of people, and I'd like to um, give Justin a little bit of time to talk about how we're, we're trying to reach out to our partners here in, in Frederick that we've connected with. Sure. I think Mike was uh, introduced to me because we were in Frederick working on a similar initiative, a multi-day event that is still in the planning phases. Our experience coming into Frederick, I'm relatively new here, has been that the business community and the innovation community has been 
extremely welcoming. Mm-hmm. It's a really exciting time to be here. I think the business is, is bo- the business is booming and there's lots of companies coming in. There's lots of innovation happening. So as we go forward trying to help Mike out with this symposium, you know, it really is a grassroots effort, feet mm-hmm. on the ground, knocking on doors, saying, hey, we're doing this really cool thing. Right. We think that your constituency would be interested in it. Spread the word. And we're doing that, you know, sort of old school, just sort of pounding the pavement along with a little bit of digital marketing. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, Frederick is perfect for this this type of event. It's you know, the, the topic matter, the, the focus on agriculture. The county has been very supportive of it. The city has been very supportive of it. There's a huge groundswell with Tech Frederick sort of coming up. That's right. We've got to watch that, you know, as 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 it formed, we were just moving to Frederick and getting, you know, a lay of the land. So we think it's a beautiful place and we think that this is going to be a great event and everybody should come out. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, you know, you reach out to me and, and we're excited to have you guys on and showcase this stuff. But, yeah, it, I have to say, like, in the past couple of years, the tech scene here has exploded. And what a better place to try to merge tech with agriculture as well, because here there there was, you know, there still is a decent farming community here. So, yeah, I'm excited to see what this symposium is going to bring. Well, the, the thing that's been really, I guess, our biggest lesson learned over the past year is what, and as the initiative, what, what started out as a rural type of initiative has truly developed into a rural-urban type of initiative. I think we in on the Eastern Shore, when we first started this conversation, were arrogantly thinking we would start some initiative that we would organically originate all of our own innovations and our own entrepreneurs and our own startups. And the reality is, is that we lack, in the rural areas, the critical mass of talent and ideas necessary to achieve what we were trying to achieve with F3 Tech. Mm -hmm. It was only through connecting with urban innovators and entrepreneurs where there's a critical mass of ideas and talent that we were able to then get them connected with the problems and challenges that exist in rural agriculture and aquaculture, Mm -hmm. make that connection. Because um, in our first accelerator program, we had five five companies, they were all from Baltimore City. They were all startups that have been struggling with this, you know, they all had their own ideas to solve uh, a given problem that was somewhat related to agriculture, but they were fumbling. And it was because they weren't connected with industry, they weren't connected with farmers, watermen, whoever it is they needed to, to do real customer discovery, to be able to do their beta testing and validate that whatever innovation or idea they had actually worked, actually solved a problem (laughs) before they start trying to commercialize it. Uh, And so there's this real urban, rural, symbiotic relationship that's been developing. And I think it's more prevalent in the agriculture and aquaculture industry than any other uh, in terms of this rural-urban partnership. Who would have expected that? Well, exactly. (laughs) I Um, I think it makes sense in a way that the initiative would sort of blossom out into the state of Maryland because it's been our experience in producing other innovation events in the past that Maryland is a global hub of innovation. It's just not seen as such elsewhere. So when you, you know, you think of a, a, a small town, a relatively small city like Frederick, the amount of innovation that is happening here relative to the population is actually remarkable. It is. And then sort of the triangulation between D.C. and Baltimore. This part of the country, uh, this part of the state is a no-brainer for that. But, you know, sort of tying in back to the eastern shore, 
I think that there's there's so much potential between what we can do statewide if we start working together and breaking down silos. It could really be remarkable. Well, Maryland is this small state. It's small enough that the, this relationship between rural and urban can really be impactful right. mm-hmm. uh, in, in contrast to other parts of the country. I agree. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, definitely agree with that. Because, uh, what, three-hour drive if I wanted to go all the way to Ocean City. So it's not far to get there. And as you said, you know, most most people in tech, you know, they're they're driven by solving problems, right? And you get them in touch with people that actually need problems solved like that, and it's like match made in heaven, you know, it's exactly always, what you need. I always say innovation needs a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. It does. And, you know, when we talked, I, I think I probably mentioned it to both of you, that you know, I always reference Steve Case's book, The Third Wave, where he talks about the third wave of innovation and it's not going to be phone apps, and it's not going to be dating apps. It's going and, to be and Steve, Steve Case was uh, one of the founders of AOL, right? Right, right. Yeah. So it's going to be these more challenging, difficult, policy-driven, agriculture-driven. The things that you know, with banking, with agriculture, with uh, you know, with government. This is where the next disruptions are going to come. Right. And you know, agriculture being the underpinning of civilization, it just makes sense that this is going to be a massive disruption when it when it finally takes place. And I think. Getting people aware of that and getting out ahead of that disruption and leveraging it instead of being caught by it, I think that's just smart business. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, in the past five years, you're thinking about cryptocurrencies trying to disrupt the whole financial industry. Right. Um, it's had its ups and downs and stuff like that. And I think that it has a has a place in the future. But then you know? blockchain has other functions too. Exactly. So it's grown into other things. Right, right. The old and pivot. The old pivot. But yeah. it, what, what it's done, what I've seen it's done, it's it has those conversations started where you're you're wondering, well, how, how does a bank actually, you know, have this ledger and what's going on here and stuff like that. And so when you start to understand the underlying technology, then you're like, well, can we do this a lot more efficiently than what banks do today? And it's the same thing with agriculture, right? It's like where, you know, you eat every day and it's right. a lot of times you just don't think about it. You're just eating. And now you're realizing, well, where is my food coming from and how is this stuff grown? And is it sustainable? I, you see things in the news all the time about you know, fish in the ocean and what we're doing is not sustainable because it's not. And the population growth, as I said, from 1.6 billion in the early 1900s to eight today, if we're going to double that in the next hundred years, we cannot continue doing what we're doing today. Right. There's just no way. So do you typically also have any interest, like you said, because you were initially getting interest or looking to get interest from the federal side as well, but worldwide, right? Like you, you mentioned a company from, from the UK and stuff like that. Right. Um, again, it's, we're still a nascent uh, program mm-hmm. uh, and Agritech and Aquatech are somewhat very early stage as an industry sector focus, but we're one of the newer guys to the table. Um, there's some more developed programs. In agriculture tech, Silicon Valley's been involved in agritech for for a number of years. Uh, There's a strong uh, ecosystem in St. Louis, uh, in Memphis, up in Boston, down in North Carolina. Um, And so we're starting to get known that we're going to be in the sandbox with the rest of these uh, type of, of programs uh, there's even talk about maybe we need to build an association of all of these agriculture tech um, right. programs around the country so that we do a better job of coordinating. Uh, we're starting to get more interest by investors. It's that old chicken and egg thing. Do we focus on trying to attract 
uh, investors so that it helps us attract startups and innovators, or do we have to develop the deal flow first right. in order to attract the investors? Uh, the investors? So, um, you know, we're just taking it a day at a time. But yeah, investors are starting to go because investors really are, are really looking at uh, agriculture tech uh, opportunities. I think they're getting a little weary of biotech and cyber tech investments, though those are still strong. But there are, there is a cadre of investor that's really focused on the agriculture tech uh, arena because they want to be part of this solving the food problem. Right, right. Pretty good. Yeah, so um, symposium's coming up, uh, you know, May 30th at FCC again. And where can you go to get tickets? Well, um, Eventbrite, Eventbrite, but the other uh, location is just go to the f3tech.org website. Okay. Uh, information about the accelerator program is there. Uh, you can see the uh, the cohort of startups uh, that we've uh, we've worked with in the past. Um, you can see who the en- um, mentors and coaches are, mm-hmm. uh, and who the team is that that's working on this industry sector but again there's an easy link to the agenda uh, and ticket information for the uh, the event awesome okay you guys have anything else you want to plug in no, about? no. not really i'll just mention one other thing along with the three speakers for the three sessions what's really uh, become popular uh, at each of our events is during the lunch area or lunch period we, we do two hour lunches almost uh, our table topics People just grab a box lunch or a salad, and we do two 45-minute sessions, and we have four table topics. And so you can hit one topic uh, in the first session and then hit a second topic uh, at the next one. And again, this is about getting people together who have an interest in a given topic, may not know a thing about the topic but want to learn about it, uh, or they have an expertise in something and want to share it. And so if I can try to remember, uh, synthetic biology is one uh, topic, millennial farming is another, precision to decision uh, ag is a third, and the fourth one is autonomous and robotics uh, in ag. There you go. Yeah. And that's a whole wide range of different topics to talk about, even if you're not particularly interested in agriculture. It's like... Well, I do have interest in right. robotics and automation right. and all that, right? So. Well, if you are an entrepreneur or, you know, looking to become an entrepreneur, if you're a young so-and-so looking to get started, I think the opportunity here is is, is massive. So definitely come out and check out the, the topic. Definitely. Cool. All right. Uh, last question. Any recent purchases of less than 100 bucks that have improved your life recently? Oh, wow. Trick question. <laughs> you have an answer? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm I like the these glasses that I'm wearing. These reading glasses, they were $14. Nice. But they look like designer glasses. So. Do you want to describe them so people who are listening they, can't? They, uh, no, I can't. don't because I don't want everybody else to <laughs> <laughs> He wants to be the cool kid with the glasses. The cool kid. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, Mike, Justin, appreciate you guys coming out, talking about uh, you know the F3 Tech Initiative. Uh, ESEC, uh, your organization and stuff like that. Um, and this this whole, you know, agriculture tech, you know, amalgamation is very exciting. Well, thank you for allowing us to come in. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks.